Hello and welcome to episode 23 of the season. We're back again, been a few weeks, been a few games and a few stories to cover in this week's agenda. So um, welcome back on the podcast, Mike. How you doing, Mike? Not bad, yeah. Yeah, I had a relaxing weekend in Barmouth, but came back to, I mean, what people are terming chaos. So we'll see how we get on talking about that later. But um, yeah, good to be back on. And hi, Chris. Welcome back on the podcast again. Yeah, cheers for having me again, Ollie. Looking forward to it tonight. I missed the last one, I think. So glad to be making my return tonight. And yeah, welcome back, Dan. Last time we were on the podcast, we were talking about a 6-0 defeat against Charlton. Um, I'm not sure things are any better than that that, that, that weekend. Um, but we're here and we've got plenty to discuss. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a good question. Is is our run since then better or worse than getting hammered 6-0? We'll leave that one open. If viewers want to give us their opinions on that, we'll, uh, we'll take them, right? Yeah, most certainly. So um, obviously, as everyone knows, there's a lot going on um, and the last few results have not been great. Um, so yeah, Chris Chris is going to take us through the results of how many points we've got in the last last few weeks. Um, and then there's plenty for us to get into. So we're going to jump into the into the juicy stuff. Yeah, thanks, Ollie. So the games certainly have come thick and fast since we carried out the last podcast. There's actually been eight matches in that time. And let's be honest, it's been a pretty torrid time in those eight games. We are one one, we drew one and we lost six. So not a strong finish to the season. And I suppose even after that Charlton game, you were probably still thinking there's a slim playoff prospect. And in the end, we finished you know, a long, long way short of that. So we lost to Peterborough United. We lost to Barnsley. Got a draw with Portsmouth, lost to Plymouth. That was a slightly unfortunate one. Back at home, we lost 2-1 with a last-minute goal on a night when we actually played pretty well. Uh, went down to Bolton after that, though, lost again. Outclassed by Sheffield Wednesday as well. They thrashed us 3-0. And then uh, finally, we got that win over Bristol Rovers in our last home game of the season. I think uh, a few of us enjoyed that one. Uh, always enjoyable to get a victory over a Joey Barton team and battled hard that night we started the game really well but then found ourselves under a lot of pressure and really defended solidly to hold out for those three points that took us back into the top half of the table at least and meant we went into the last game with a good chance of a top half finish and a slim chance at that point actually of a top 10 finish sadly the top 10 wasn't to be because we went down of course this weekend to Lincoln City we went down 1-0 probably actually the best performance in those eight games I don't know what you guys think but if I, I watched that game on telly and we probably should have been one or two up by half time we had chances at the start of the second half as well so even though we lost that game probably not a bad finish to the season for our for, for, for in terms of performance uh, Dan what did you think? Yeah I can't disagree with the the wider narrative I mean six defeats out of your last eight is hardly uh, something that you'd want but, and I think, I think it is quite an important but, there were some performances in there um, that I think are um, that, that were quite encouraging or that did make me at least think that these guys are not on the beach. Um, I thought Peterborough were a really good team. I thought Peterborough played really well against us. Um, I, I thought, you know, the, the game against Plymouth, we had three outfield players on the bench, none of whom had set foot on a professional football field before. You know, we're, we're really at the bare bones and yet Plymouth scored in the 96 minute to win the game. The Lincoln performance was not a bad performance. Um, now, of course, in the end, if you play well and keep losing, you'll go down. But but we we were in a position where we knew we were playing really strong sides. They had plenty to play for. They came to the party. And I'd say it's only really Sheffield Wednesday where, where we had a car crash, where things went really wrong. Wednesday were, were, were by a million miles the better team against us. So totally understand the angle. We've not got too many points at all from the last eight games. But some of the performances... Uh, have been more positive than I think people might um, might have thought if they'd only just seen the scores. 
Yeah, I think most of the games uh, that I've been seeing, they, they sort of follow a, a similar pattern as well, where we start, we start well, we start competitively. And because of the nature of our small squad and the fact that we run the same sort of 13, 14 players into the ground over the season, we just sort of run out of legs during the game. Um, case in point was against Sheffield Wednesday. I think they made four or five subs during the game, probably all of which would get into our squad, if not our team. Um, and like, like Dan says, you know, we had just had kids on the bench. So it's understandable that in probably what would be our hardest run of game against teams mostly in the top half, um, with, a, with a tired squad towards the end of the season, safety guaranteed, a few accusations around the stands of the players being on the beach. Um, it's we sort of petered out towards the end of the season. I'm not surprised, I can say. Um, and and as long as we sort of see that fighting spirit in there, I think that there's still some not positive, but at least you know, you know, they're not getting booed off the pitch every week. It's, it's boring, but it's not disastrous. I think uh, in the in, in sort of the context of the wider season. Yeah, I don't think we're planning to talk much about the squad size tonight. We've covered that in previous pods, but you touched on it there, didn't you, Mike? And Dan also touched on the fact that we've had substitutes benches in the last few weeks without any first-team experience. I can't remember the last time we had seven substitutes. Obviously, the maximum number were allowed. We haven't had that many. We had the Plymouth game where we were so short that we had Cade Craig uh, from, from the youth team making his full debut. He started that game. You know, He was on loan at Telford earlier in the season until he also actually got an injury. So a big step up in class for him. And I feel for some of these kids, actually, because they somebody like Cade Craig, loan at Telford, got injured, and then he's had no football because we don't have a reserve team. And there's nothing for him to play in between our youth team and our first team. And because same for Tom Bloxham, you know, this season he struggled for match action, really. And he's, for having made such an impression last term, this time around, he's largely been a substitute for much of the season. And he hasn't had a run of games and he hasn't had a reserve team to find some form that he can then bring into the first team. So yeah, it's it's been a problem for us without a shadow of a doubt. We could talk about it, and I'm sure on future pods or whatever, about the reasons. But clearly the manager had his reasons for a short squad, a small squad, and we, he's used his money to bring in quality rather than quantity, as it were. We, we've had that debate before. But the fact remains, a final position of 12th is our best finish since uh, bar one, obviously the Paul Hurst season. But apart from that season in 2018, you have to go back to 1990 to the last time we finished higher in the Football League. So I, to me, that's clearly progress as a football club. You know, for the first time, we haven't looked over our shoulders all season really and yeah as late as early March we were still dreaming of the playoffs so to me that's a massive step in the right direction yeah I'd agree with yeah. that um, and the highlight being the win at home against Bristol Rovers and um, with Lutley he's scoring against his former side and yeah if we um, yeah I think one of the takeaways is me um, pissing um, Jerry Barton off again uh, was yeah a nice little send off and it was good to get that home win um, it was nice for the players to get that kind of applause go around the ground it definitely feels different if you've got that victory so you kind of celebrating the win and also kind of a lot of fans saying uh, um, goodbye to the players because obviously there's a lot of players that are going to move on and obviously there's a lot of lone players as well um, and yeah maybe the manager as well but we'll come to that shortly just a quick touch, Ollie. That was Lutley. He's 100th game for the club as well. Yeah. So fitting that he got the goal that night against his former club. Yeah, maybe it's just actually just reminded me of something. Um, Lutley, he played every minute of this season in League One. That is phenomenal, isn't it? That's you know, mad. Yeah, 46 games. Luke and um, Dunkley had, had, had played um, you know, every game as well, uh, but he obviously didn't play every minute. Um, but yeah. Because um, he got sent off. <laughs> Yeah, he got sent off. Um, but Luke Leahy, um, what an absolutely fantastic signing. I really enjoyed his his pre-match this week and his post-match. He seems like a really, really good guy um, and a great captain. And 
a really, really good Shrewsbury Town captain, Dan. Yeah, I'm quite interested with that stat as well, because given how, what's the word, gobby Luke Lee is on a football field, it's pretty impressive that he's not had a yellow card to get him a suspension. That must be the first time in his career he's not had a suspension for, for having too many yellow cards. I don't know that, but... Um, but, but certainly last year he had a he had at least one for, for picking up yellow cards. So yeah, hats off. That's a, that's a pretty impressive achievement. Yeah. So any final comments on these games um, before we get into the off the field topics? Let's put it that way. I just going back to what Chris said earlier on. I think just worth saying that young Kate Craig when he did play, I thought he played pretty well for a first performance in you know his first professional outing, probably a performance as well, an appearance he wasn't expected to make this season. Um, and I just think if you know if I'm here, I'd probably listen to the podcast if I get a mention. So I just say, yeah, well done to him. I thought he did well. He battled against uh, some pretty pretty um, top level League One footballers, and hopefully he can he can get a few more look ins and and uh, build on that early performance. Yeah, I thought it's worth just pointing that out really. I totally buy that, Mike. Actually, I thought he did really well. I thought he was definitely looking to not make mistakes rather than express himself. But he was playing centre half. You know, and I don't expect him to do Croy turn. So I, I I'd say you know again against he, the league he, leaders he, as well. Exactly, against a good side. So, you know, fair play. No, no complaints with his performance. And as, as Chris said, it, he, he hasn't played that much. So, you know, respect you. Yeah, no, no, all good comments, all good comments. Um, so let's let's close that um, part of the podcast and let's jump into the, the events off the field. start this section I'm going to do a little bit of a timeline of events just to kind of give us a little bit of a foundation to kind of work off so I'm going to go back to January February time when Shrewsbury Town made their squad smaller which was a surprise to everyone at the time so Adrian O'Brien went to Gillingham De Costa went back to Coventry and we signed a young lad from Crystal Palace Phillips who turned out to probably be one of the best loan signings of the season and probably one of the best loan signings in the last five years he's been a phenomenal signing but there was a lot of question, and also Steve Cottrell was talking a lot in the media at the time about the wages. Um, and I got told at the time that we were over budget. And that's the reason why we couldn't reinvest the DaCosta money and um, the, the um, Aidan O'Brien money. Um, so that's so going back to January and February, kind of pulling this together. In February of 2023, James Hughes, one of the directors of the board who'd been on the, who'd been on the board for a very, very, very long time, um, resigned. Um, there wasn't really any statements or anything from the club at the time. It was more people picked that up from company's house. And then a gentleman called Duncan Montgomery joined as finance director in, in that February. After that, no real changes to the board. All, then all of a sudden, um, last week, it became a now known. Um, I heard it over the weekend um, that Brian was leaving the club. And then on the Tuesday, um, it was seen, everyone saw it on company's house and started doing the rounds on the internet. And then the club made an estate, a statement, which we'll come to shortly. Um, after that, in that statement, um, it was announced that um, a guy called Peter Brophy will be joining as a chief operating officer. Um, and then, then moving on, on the 6th of May, we heard the rumours that a director of football was going to be joining the club. 
um, that was leaked by the Cheltenham chairman, David Bloxham. And then on the 7th of May, after the Lincoln game, the head of recruitment, Keith Burt, resigns. So they're the headlines. And we're going to get into some into the details now. And the first one is, is Brian Brian's departure, which I find very strange. So first of all, the statement for me seemed very rushed um, and didn't seem, yeah, it just seemed rushed. Um, and I, I was surprised by the nature of the statement. I was surprised that Brian's left in the first place. I think Brian leaving leaves a huge gaping hole in the club from a commercial perspective, but also his knowledge and experience of working in the game. And then in this statement, um, there was also the mention that we were going to have a new chief operating officer. Um, but kind of on the, on the statement um, itself, yes, I, I'm not sure if the club would actually plan to do anything. Doing a statement at 5 p.m. before an evening kickoff for me doesn't seem well planned. Um, so it seems potentially the club was caught on the cuff there, but they shouldn't have been surprised given that the statement went into, into company's house and the state date of Brian's departure is the 28th of April. Now, just a quickly on, on Brian's departure, I got to know Brian well through the Supporters Parliament and then I built a relationship with him um, partly through because of the podcast, but also going to Supporters Parliament meetings. And I also found Brian was a, you know, he really did put the fans first. I thought I really appreciated the efforts that he put in. Um, I thought he was a he was the face of the club with along with the manager. And I thought he made us seem appear. God knows what was going on in the background. Um, he made us appear like a professional football club. And that was really lacking for a really, really long time. Um, not only did he change a lot of things for the fans, you know, from supporting, say, standing, and sometimes little things like alleyways and walkways and fixing stuff, he was always there. And he was always there quickly to, to respond to emails and, and kind of really did really support um, the fans and improve the match day experience. Um, and Mike, you had a lot of experience and contact with, with uh, Brian with the sad pass in the glim. Yeah, um, I only really sort of got got speaking with Brian uh, sort of towards November last year. Obviously, with Ben passing away, we held his um, his wake at the football club, and Brian went above and beyond uh, to help us out sorting that out. And and in in those dealings with him, I got to know him a little bit. Um, but also, I got a lot of insight on on Brian's the way he worked through Glynn uh, through the previous years and what they did through the supports parliament. Um, like you say, you know, from the little things, from you know, taking down a fence here, putting in some steps there. He was sort of he was the marginal gains for the fan side of, of of supporting the club. He would listen to minor gropes. He would get them fixed, and then you know when you accrue all those things together, the supporter experience every year become better and better. So um, I believe he had a big part in the you know the fan zone, like you say about the safe standing. So from a so from a supporter's point of view, and previously not having much to do with him, it just seemed like a guy that came along after a succession of previously chief execs who didn't seem to do anything and actually got stuff done. And that's what I think. A lot of fans were shocked when he left. Was that he seemed quite a proactive and and productive operator uh, on the fan side of it. Then, along with the commercial side of it, you know, I, I'm not sure how much he had to do with that. But different different sponsors have come in over his time, and different sort of commercial opportunities have opened up um, that we've always been frustrated about in the past. So he seemed like he had a, he'd been there a good while. He seemed like he he had his feet under the table. He was able to get things done. He had a seat at the table, but. Just from my point of view, about I don't know if it was about 12 months ago, he just seemed to go really quiet. He was always a very vocal, obvious presence in the media or in the programme or just around the club. And about a year ago, that just seemed to dry up. Communications from Brian just seemed to, to not happen anymore. He wasn't popping up on podcasts or on radio feeds. Um, and he was just left present in the Shropshire Star. And I don't know. I mean, like I say, I don't know anything about why he's left. I don't know whether he was sidelined or whether he was... Um, 
you know, he, he I don't know what, what it was, but it's, for me personally, I think it's a real shame that he's gone because he just seemed to be, get the club. He seemed to love it. He seemed to get the fan base. And, um, and I think we've lost an ally as fans on at boardroom level, which is, which is a real shame. Um, what do you think, Dan? You got any thoughts on that one? I thought it was really interesting. I've, I've um, had no contact with Brian over all these years. Um, I, I sort of periodically listen to him in the press um, and you'd see him sort of around, wouldn't you, at, at events. But I think the point you made about the last 12 months, I've seen much, much less of him. And I don't know why that is. But one thing I'm pretty clear on, it's probably not a coincidence. It's probably not, he, he's probably not decided, oh, I've had enough of this, can't be asked. I, I don't see Brian working like that. Something's changed whether it's a relationship between him and the manager, whether it's a relationship between him and the chairman, or the relationship between the chairman and the manager, and that's affected him. So, so some, something has gone, has changed, and I suspect that Brian has fallen, Brian's importance in the club, um, or his role in the club, has changed. And that's ultimately led to, to the events that we saw at the end of April. Now, I'm not party to what those changes might be, but, but something's changed, because it's not the same Brian Cordell that we saw for the previous, whatever it was, six years, up until about 12 months ago. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And Chris, you'd you dealt with, with Brian a few times and we spoke about this, didn't we, when we were leaving the stadium on Tuesday night? Yeah, yeah so for, for me, I mean, the first thing is Brian Caldwell, in my opinion, is just a thoroughly decent human being. And from that point of view, I think he's a massive loss to the club because he's able, he's hardworking, but above all, he's decent. And I think in a chief executive to have all those three things together is probably incredibly unusual. What I couldn't get over with Brian is how responsive he was to absolutely everything. You know, he had a big job, a lot to do, and yet nothing ever seemed too much trouble. Three or four years ago, I remember, I can't even remember what the issue was, but there was something that had annoyed me. And I was tweeting at 10 o'clock at night, like, like some sad complaining supporter that I am sometimes. Three minutes later, my phone pings. I've got an email from Brian Caldwell. He's be, he just happened to be trawling Twitter. He'd seen my tweet and he knew the solution. He was going to fix it for me and he'd emailed me to tell me what to do and how we were going to sort this out. And I just couldn't go. That I was the chief executive of the football club. And at that time, I didn't know him that well, taking the time out to do that. And I just thought, what a good guy. And then, you know, I work in the NHS and so I've been quite busy through the COVID period and I've dealt with Brian quite a lot through that. And again, he couldn't have done more for the NHS in terms of some of the things that uh, Shrewsbury Town did in that period from having vaccination buses at the stadium to putting players up for photo opportunities and whatnot to provoke various campaigns we had going on at that time. And again, really helpful. He's got his busy job trying to keep a football club alive at that point, but he kind of saw the bigger picture and he wanted to be a part of a part of the of helping that, as it were, doing something you know he told i think he told a story on a podcast linked to the covid stuff actually i don't do you remember this one during january transfer window brian was volunteering at one of the covid vaccination centers on a sunday in his own time he was marshalling in the car park as though he wasn't busy enough but while marshalling in the car park he was having rows with will Gregg's agents because will that was the time when we were due to sign will Gregg, and then he let us down at the last minute and while brian was trying to sort that out he was also you know apparently letting you know mavis know where to park a car before she goes off to get her covid jab so he was just a kind of guy who does so much and cared so much for people. I, I just think it's a real, real shame that we've lost him. You know, this season, you, you get in touch with him about little things. My son left his water bottle at the stadium. and I did, didn't know who to contact to try and get my son's water bottle back. So ridiculously, I emailed the chief executive. I expected him to just say, you know, this is who you need to speak to and no more. But instead, he's trying to sort, he's trying to find it for me. You know, I've got the CEO of the club trying to track down a Harry Potter water bottle because 
because that's the kind of guy he is. And I really, I couldn't respect him enough. I contacted him about the kit. You know, as a supporter, I've got my views on what our kit should look like for this season. So being the type of person I am, I wrote him an email with all my thoughts of the things we should be doing. And he got back in touch with me about that immediately as well. I must have had a reply within five minutes and he had questions and he had thoughts and he was linking me in with other people as they were planning this season's kit. And, you know, I'm not saying that, he, he, it was, you know, I've had any say in what the kit is or anything, but he acted like my opinion mattered. And I just, I, I just liked that. And I liked him and he'll take some replacing at our football club. And, you know, I hope he listens to this pod and I hope he hears how we've all spoken about him because I dropped him a message to say how sad I am that he's leaving. But yeah, he's, he's, he's been the best CEO this club's had and I will go some to replace him with anyone who can do the job better. Yeah, I, I totally echo that. I've been sharing the the messages with Brian on WhatsApp, and yeah, he he told me he really really appreciates um, the message from all the fans. Um, it means a lot to him, and I, I think yeah, we don't know what it was like um, in the boardroom at Shrewsbury Town Football Club, um, but um, I think he hopefully when he looks back on on his time at Shrewsbury, he'll remember the fans, and the fans really really appreciate his time. Um, and yeah, he's he's done a fantastic job, hasn't he, Dan? Yeah, as well. One one thing that my missus always says to me about professional positions. I don't know if being a university professor is a professional position, probably not. But um, but in her world, she's an accountant. If you stay in a job for three years, then you've done enough. You have a right to walk away. And um, I was, it's an interesting line. Now, Brian was with us for a long time, and he's a very professional man. Um, so maybe the time the time is right for him to move on. I don't mean that we should encourage him to do that, or it was right for us. But I think most people at his level will be looking for fresh challenges as well. And if, if the fresh challenge wasn't quite there, then seven years is a very good stint. Uh, and, you know, that, that that's something we want to bear in mind, that perhaps that, you know, that it is it is right for him to go and go, go and do something else. I don't know what else he's going to do. I don't know if anyone else has got any insight on that. Probably not. But um, seven years is a long time for someone to be CEO at a club like ours. I would say sort of, not counterpoint to that, but something related is that, I think Brian joined us from the football world, didn't he? He didn't come from outside. He was he's, he's an experienced football operator. And from everything you hear as a fan, football is a very unique, um, nuanced business that you you have to sort of understand and, and, and get to grips with to be able to operate in it. And and so, you know, the last sort of half-decent TV set we had was, was Matt Williams, who was also from a football background. So my concern is that some of the people being nominated for board positions, we'll probably get to them in a bit, are not from a football background. And operating in football and operating in just general business, I think they're completely different fields. So, um, you know, Brian brought with him a very specific skill set that he deployed well at the club. You know, will we get that again with a replacement? And are we are we sort of, you know, getting rid of a lot of unique skills that we are very difficult to replace, I suppose? I hear you, Mike, but I would argue that the, the type of stuff that Chris is talking about is what good human beings do, regardless of the industry that they're working, and they can read the people around them. Now, I, I don't quite know where, where Brian, w- what we will miss in terms of the off the field stuff that we don't see. Okay, because I think over the last twelve months, it's, something has changed in in the way he's been working within the club. So for that reason, I was thinking that maybe um, we, we shouldn't have been that surprised that it, that he opted to go to go somewhere else. But he no. it, it, it has gone now, and and it's time to look forward, I guess. Yeah, he's for me. I think one of the surprises that he's been there such a long time. You hear lots of things about how Shrewsbury Town is run, and yeah, he makes you yeah. It says a lot of that Brian is able to kind of hold the course. Um, and yeah, I think we'll all miss Brian. Um, we thank him for his service to the club. For me, there's two things that worry me about um, about Brian's departure. Is one who is going to be the the face of Shrewsbury Town off the field stuff. 
like we said, Dan, you know, particularly yourself said, you know, you used to do a lot of updates with the media team and share stories and explain things and, and, you know, be a, uh, be available. Who's going to be available now? If you've got an issue today, Chris, with your, your, with your water bottle, or you want to get involved in the kit or, you know, you want to do something, who'd you contact? I don't well, know. I, I, don't know I would expect my email to disappear into a void now, I suppose. That's the trouble. You know, I, I know a couple of names at the club. There's generic email addresses, but I have no confidence I'd get responses to those. Whereas with Brian, you always felt you would. And yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's it'll take some replacing. Yeah. And, and, um, and from, yeah, so that's one thing. So yeah, a loss of Brian from that point of view. Um, and then also secondly, um, Brian was an, an experienced football operator. I spent my entire career working for big, big companies in the food sector. So I understand that language. I understand the norms. I understand the expectations and, you know, the feel of working for, you know, your Cadbury's and, and your Vitties and, and your Marses. There's a nuance to work in that industry. And with no, with no in, intended offence to the gentleman who's apparently replacing Brian, um, a guy called Peter Brophy, who's going to be this chief operating officer, what that means, I'm not sure. It, doesn't, it wasn't really explained in the article. He spent um, his entire career up until now as a police officer. You know, he he was a. I'm sure sure he was a fantastic copper, and also he was a leader within the police. He wasn't just you know a, a low ranked off you know rank officer. But Mike Mike works in a commercial environment, um, working in a commercial environment for a very very long time. I remember talking to Brian about all sorts of things. I remember talking to him about, could we exit the, the ticket master contract? And I was talking to Brian about contracts and things like this. Um, and yes, I do. I'm very concerned about how much skill set there is in the, in the club. Um, we've still got Tretton, so he's in the club and hopefully he's got a lot of experience and he's working close with Brian. But it does a big concern for me that we've gone from having a CEO who's worked his career in football and being replaced with someone who hasn't worked in this kind of environment before, to my knowledge, and has spent most of his career as a copper. Um, it seems very strange um, that we've that Brian has been replaced in this way. The only thing I'd say there, Ollie, is I think we're basing that on an article that you yourself said earlier was felt almost rushed when it came out. And to give Peter Brophy his due, none of us have yet had the chance to hear from him. And there, there could be more to his background than we know. We're, you know, that's an article that has been put together. And there's a lot, the media of, team lot of words been, were put for the fact he worked in the police. Yeah, but maybe that's something they, that the chairman felt strongly about or whatever, because he yeah. probably, he's, it, it's a values thing, isn't it? Some people would say, oh, police, honest, hardworking, reliable. They see those as credentials to push. But it could well be that there's more to his CV than than that, as it were. I don't know anything about the guy, so I'm certainly not going to lambast him at this point. He, he, he has One, he deserves a chance to show us what he can do, and two, we probably, he deserves a chance to tell us what he's done as well, because I'd like to think there's more than served as a DI or whatever, because as you say, the, the skill set that makes a top police officer is probably very different to the skill set that is running a football club, but he may have some of that as well. I don't know. I suppose it all depends on where he ultimately lands in the structure of whatever this football board is. Um, who else is coming in? You know, this guy's 
Green, it might not include anything to do with football. He might be to do with, you know, um, corporate governance and whatever else, you know, a former police officer might be good at looking after. Um, and then The statement does some... say he's going to be looking at the non-football side of the business. Yeah, exactly. So he might be well set up for that. It might be around structure and governance, like I say, but there might yeah. well be some very, very savvy football operators coming in. This, um, you know, the, the, the director or whoever it is from Cheltenham that's been mentioned, Mickey, what's his name, Mickey Moore? Um, yeah, a lot of the people, a lot of the reaction online to, to his name being thrown in the hat for our our new uh, chief exec is very positive. The, the Cheltenham fans seem very very reluctant for him to leave their club. So, but he's not going to get involved in the, the fact that he's not going to get involved in sponsorship deals. Though you would suspect it's not that's not a normal remit of a director of football. Um, and we don't. No, have but then there might be another year. person. There might be another yeah. person coming in with with the commercial background, or Andy Trapp might be stepping up. So. It, it, it's all conjecture until we get the final structure of that football board um, uh, and only all we can know is what we're losing in uh, in Brian really but it, yeah, yeah it's, it's just the lack of explanation of okay this Peter Brophy is the first step then we're going to look for one of these then we're going to get one of them and this is what the structure is going to look like it would calm a lot of the the perceived panic online you can see at the moment yeah yeah I think there's going to be a thread running through the next few minutes in this pod that, that centres around communication right um Regardless of what actually is happening, the communication of it clearly could have been a bit sharper. You've got to be crisp, you've got to be clear, you've got to be concise so people understand what's going on. And I totally understand that total transparency is not an option either. You don't, you don't air your dirty laundry, but fans need a bit more of a narrative. Uh, and I don't think they're unreasonably in asking for one. And I, I would argue that quite a few of the people who do have public access to, 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 to guys in Shrewsbury Town haven't really been asking the questions to get us answers that make any sense. So we're simply in the dark. And I don't think the club's helping itself with that. There is clearly a narrative somewhere, but no one's telling us what it is. And that worries me. Yeah, I, I totally, I, I totally understand. That's, that's the thing that's confusing me the most. If we're having, if we're going down a director of football model, we're not having a CEO now. That role has been degraded and we're, you know, we're not going to spend as much money on a CEO now. Or we're going to do a different approach. Surely you made that communication in advance of Brian resigning and it looked like to me the club was reacting. And that's the whole problem. And let's be honest, that has been one of the themes of Ronald Witchley's tenure as a chairman. You know, we've been very complimentary, me and Glenn, over the last seven years about, about Roland and his leadership of the club and building a new football ground and making a sustainable, all that kind of stuff. We talked about it numerous, numerous times about what a great job he's done. Communication. Has not is not one of his strengths. Brian covered that and really kind of helped us with that. But for me, this is this is a strategy. And if you're in, you know, if you're in your if you're in your work environment, Dan, if you're in your university, if Chris and Mike are in in, in the NHS, if there's going to be a restructure, there's a communication plan. It, it comes out, it's planned. But this isn't planned. It just seems ad random and ad hoc. Um, it doesn't see seems very reactionary, Chris. I don't know what your your thought was on that. So, I mean, my day job, Ollie, is I'm a head of communications. So un un unsurprisingly, I have views on communications. And to me, the communications is at the nub of what's really been messed up over the last few days at Shrewsbury Town, because they're not communicating with basically anybody. You've got the manager on the radio saying that the first he knew about the approach for a director of a football is when he was sent the tweet from a reporter in Cheltenham. So he's reading that at the same time as us. How is Steve Cotterell reading that at the same time as us. That is absolutely absurd and ridiculous. 
you're talking about and it, it would be ridiculous with any manager but especially with this manager because let's be honest Steve Cottrell probably by his own admission is a little bit of a control freak he, he always says that he wants to be in charge of everything at the football club certainly everything football related he's made clear that any player that comes into the club is his choice uh, that's the way he likes to do business he's worked closely with Keith Burt they pick the players together but Steve has the final say now, Mickey Moore at Cheltenham is a director of football who does the recruitment for that club. He recruits players for his manager. So the idea that he would come here and recruit for Steve Cottrell is not a concept I can ever see sitting comfortably with Steve Cottrell. So how can they make these decisions without talking to him? That's ridiculous. And then they're not talking to us. So, you know, as I think Mike's alluded to, for all we know, there's a great plan behind the sits behind the behind the scenes, and in two months' time, we'll all be thinking, "What was all the fuss about? We've got this fantastic board. We've just recruited ten fantastic players, and we're going to win League One next season." But what we're seeing as supporters right now is utter chaos. That's what we're seeing. We're seeing we're left in the dark, and we're treated like we don't matter. Football's not a cheap hobby anymore. So, you know, I've bought my season ticket for next year. I bought it in the window to get the early bird. So me and my son, 390 quid I've coughed up to watch the team next season. And right now, apparently, the chairman doesn't think that I deserve to have any idea what's going on at the football club. And that frustrates me. And he's, he's, it's not like it's new, is it? Uh, he's been chairman now since 1996, and he's never been good at this stuff. He's never liked doing this stuff. But he's usually seen that it needs to be done and he's put someone else in to do it for him. It used to be when he first started one of the other directors, a guy called Keith Seyfritz, he, he used to effectively be the spokesperson for the club. He was an amenable, jolly guy who did all the media stuff. And, and then since then, we've had direct uh, CEOs or people with similar job titles to do that job. Obviously, Brian, the most recent one. Right now, there is literally nobody. And... I don't think there's any prospect of the chairman coming out and saying anything anytime soon. So how we get information, I don't know. And do they want to sell more season tickets? Do they want those who've already bought them to be knocking on the door, asking for their money back? And I I, th I put a tweet saying it wouldn't surprise me if one or two did that. And then I did notice in the club's Facebook group, quite a few supporters saying, you know, that they, they were going to do exactly that. They were really frustrated. And, you know, why, why should they put their money forward to watch us get relegated, which is what they think is going to happen right now. Now, I'm sure Roland Witchley would say, calm down, be patient and see what's to come. But it'd be nice if he came out and said that rather than just assuming. So the communication is poor and it's not a difficult thing to fix. That, what's, that's what frustrates me. It's not difficult to fix. Just put somebody forward. If, if you don't want to do it on camera, then put a written statement. It's not difficult to do. They've got some good guys in that media team. So maybe he wants to trust them a little bit, work with them and get something out there that just reassures people a little bit. It'll calm things down, and it'll affect, I'd have thought, recruitment as well, because if you were a player right now that Shrewsbury Town are talking to, they'll be doing their homework on the club as much as we do homework on players. And right now, Shrewsbury must look a bit of a chaotic place. And if you've got choices, mm. right now, it would affect your choice of Shrewsbury, I would imagine. So it just feels to me like such an easy thing to fix, and yet I have no confidence that they're going to. I could waffle on about this for ages, so I'm going to stop and let other people talk, but it really yeah. frustrates me. I think your, your point on, on affecting uh, you know, recruitment, it, it comes into something that we were talking about earlier on, on our WhatsApp chat. Is my issue with the, just the timing of everything just seems really odd. So you know, if you're like a, a strategic forward-thinking organisation, if you're like a professional football club, and you're going to take this massive overhaul of the way you are structured, essentially, and, and how you operate, moving from a, you know, a chief executive and a manager with a head of recruitment to a football board, whatever that means, you think you would be planning this well in advance and you would be choosing a relatively quiet time to do it. You know, perhaps 
just after the January transfer window, you might start restructuring so that, you you know, if, if, if you kind of think you're safe anyway, you get through the end of the season with minimal disruption and then you can hit the summer and the recruitment period with, with you know, feet on the ground and hit with a bit of a run because Morecambe announced they retained this today. We could be in for Stockley, but who's who's taking up that, um, it's just Stockton, is it? Who's taking up that, that job of trying to recruit him for the club at the moment when our head of recruitment left after immediately after the last game of the season? So, it just seems like a really, really odd bit of timing. And, and, you know, to turn your whole structure upside down in what would be sort of, you know, how long has this been running for? If they didn't want to do it after January, if we cut out of January and we still have Brian in February to March, is this something that's been thought of in a month, in two months? You know, where's, where's this idea come from and how much thought have they put into putting that out there? Because we are now hitting, for us, arguably, issues with town. We've got a lot of money to spend, so we need to be proactive on free agents. That's that's where we're going to make headway in the transfer market. That's now. Who's doing that work now to line up those free agents, either at the end of their contract or, or now they're out of contract? If Brian's gone, if our head of recruitment's gone, and we haven't got any football operators in through the door, we're, we're getting behind all the other clubs, and that's the that's a concern for me. If if it is thought out, then I'd love to know where they came up with this timing for it and how they thought that this was the right time to do all of this, but. You know, I'm probably waffling like Chris now, but going back in front of that as well, with timing, you know, they, they've had this idea. Some of it's leaked out of the club. And then uh, Brian obviously has, had to, has left, but that's kind of been handled poorly on the communication side. But that's happened three or four games before the end of the season. And then the head of recruitment has left at the last game of the season. And this is all, and, then, and then the manager's finding out about it from, a, from an article in the press. So they've not lined up the conversations with the manager in the timescales. There's no... There doesn't seem to be a plan behind the plan, if you know what I mean. And that's that's what worries me. It's, it's okay. If this drags on through the summer, you know, we might we might have a very poor squad come the start of the season next season. I totally agree with the timing point of view you make there, Mike. This is a crazy time to make in this change. Um, one, I've heard lots of things, and I've I always used to leave um, the rumours to Glenn because he was better at that and he enjoyed it. Uh, Mike smiling as we record this. Glenn used to love that, and hey. Glenn would be centre absolute center and i yeah, miss him so much but yeah these times like this i miss him so much because he'd be yeah if people say that my tweets were a little bit extreme um on this weekend god imagine what glenn would have been tweeting he would have been having glenn, a whale of a time he would have exploded one of the messages i sent to brian actually when i just sort of said sorry to hear you leave and i said i do have to say that glenn would be absolutely loving the drama and he'd be furiously tweeting his phone would be on fire and Brian said, "Yeah, to be fair, that's absolutely right. I'm, you know, almost glad he's not around to be, you know, adding fuel to the flames. Almost, yeah. But um, no, it was, uh, yeah, he would have absolutely loved this. One of the big things I missed this week is, um, is Glenn's over the top reaction to everything. I think, yeah. yeah. And and the timing is just is just daft. We could have made these changes. Yes, the the manager and the director of football thing would have been quite difficult um, because you had to do it earlier, but." Retain list, as you say, Mike, are coming out now. There's an obligation from the EFL. You have to release your retain list. Um, you have to return, release your retain list in by about a week, apparently, after the season's ended. Who is making the option on Leahy, for example, who did the post-match? He wants to stay. Who's going to make that decision? So we've got a, a big problem now. Now, as Chris said, this could all be calmed down in two, three weeks' time. We look back on this podcast and go, we were a little bit hotheads that night. But the trouble we have is, as I listed all those issues that are going on in the club, we haven't even gone through all of them yet, um, that we are we are making ourselves weaker and putting ourselves in a disadvantage because, you know, clubs that are better run and really well run. So two teams that are coming up, I'm told that Northampton, 
and Leighton Orient have fantastic recruitment teams, you know, modern kind of approaches to, to football in terms of data, scouting, analytics, all that kind of stuff. They're going to be talking to players now that we want to be talking to. And then you've got players, other teams in the division who are, who are getting ready for next season as well. Teams like Exeter, teams like Bristol Rovers. And where, where Shrewsbury, who's, who's, who at Shrewsbury Town Football Club is going to be picking up the phone and talking to agents? So, yeah, I'm, I'm a, I am concerned about the timing and the impact that could have on our recruitment this summer, Chris. I'm, sorry. I'm sure Steve Cottrell has a plan. I'm sure he's got names of the people he wanted to talk to. And I'm sure he probably knows who is and isn't on his retained list. I'm sure he's got all that in his head. But what seems uncertain is whether he even knows if he's going to be the man to do that now. And this is where you get into the realm of gossip and rumour, I suppose. But to me, I can only draw one conclusion from the way it's being handled, and that is that the chairman wants him to resign. I can't see what else is in his thinking. Why would he not let Steve Cottrell know that he's trying to employ a director of football, a move that clearly Cottrell wouldn't welcome, and indeed didn't. When he first found out about this football board, again, through a radio interview, effectively, he basically said, I haven't seen the statement, because that was the night of the Bristol Rovers game. He said, no, I've not seen that, not read it, don't know anything about any football board. And then a few days later, he's telling us he's read about Mickey Moore in the press, so he didn't know anything about that either. It strikes me that there's clearly an issue between the chairman and the manager. I've seen that speculated on on social media that they're allegedly not talking. I'm going to use allegedly. I want to be careful, but there's clearly an issue there. Steve Cottrell has a year on his contract. Sacking him would cost us and would look bizarre, frankly, given that we've just recorded, as we've said, our second best season in over 30 years. So to me, it feels like maybe the chairman is making these decisions deliberately in the way he's handling it to force that man to resign. I can't see what else is in his head right now. I don't know if others think I'm off my rocker with that, but that's what I think is going on. Dan? Oh, no, you might be off your rocker, Chris. I'm quite happy to, 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 to buy into that, but not on this one. Um, you know, I, I completely buy what you're saying. The thing is, I want somebody, when this podcast comes out, to say, you fool, you haven't got a goddamn clue. This is what is happening. I want somebody from the club to say, you just idiots, you fool, you haven't got any idea. This is the plan. You know, this is what we're going to do taking forward. And I'll be all over that. And I'll be the first to, to, to say... You know, we're, we're just outsiders looking in. We obviously didn't see the bigger picture. But, you know, I mean, there's a danger in the wisdom of crowds, right? But if, if you look around the club, I don't, I don't really seen anybody who's given me a coherent explanation as to what might even plausibly be going on. And that worries me a lot. That worries me that people are making it up step by step. And, you know, the, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And, and, and a, you know, a football board might sound like a good thing to a chairman who's not very good at communicating with others, but I can see why it can go quite badly wrong, as, as Chris has just intimated. The other thing is about, about where we are now. Now, I mean, I know the director of recruitment's just gone. That's clearly not great, but you'd have thought he's done a bit of mileage up to this point. I'm trying to be a bit more glass half full. You'd have thought there's an agenda moving forward. You know, he didn't down tools two months ago. And he's probably got a fair idea as to who's going to be out of contract. He's probably got a fair idea as to, you know, as, as, as to where the, the club might be going in future years. So that information is there, you would hope. And someone like Cottrell, I mean, as you said before, because I, I mean, I don't know him personally, but he, he does strike us as being pretty hands on with everything. He's going to have a list of people that he might well want to bring in. So we could still be doing that. But, but Mickey Moore, I, I if we're having really, him, might have an entirely different list. That's the problem. It, it, exactly. This is the point. I want somebody to come on and tell me why I've got that right or wrong. Because I'm trying to make it up because it's all we've got. It's the only option that's there is to try and put two and two together and hope that you don't end up with 26. Yeah, and in a vacuum, this sort of stuff, you know, in a vacuum of information, this sort of stuff will thrive. Rumour, conjecture, you look at Blue and Amber, you look at Twitter. The, the fan base are, are, are all over the shop. There's been... 
so many mad rumours. Paul Hurst coming back by all accounts. And, you know, it, it's it's really silly season on the rumour front. But, um, you know, it, it's, it's really strange even that maybe the other avenue that the fans have for getting an idea of what's going on at the club. I don't know if you saw the, the, the sort of the message put out by the support liaison officers that came out. And it was very much a, we've had a chat with the chairman. It's all good. We can't tell you what's going on. But yeah, believe us, trust us, it's all going to be fine. And that just... Like it was adds, like Dad's army. Adds, you don't think? Yeah. You know, calm down. You know, it's like, yeah. seriously, fine? But, I mean, if, if, if Roland shared something with them, how have they not been able to share that with the wider fan base? Because putting out a statement like that, just it asks more questions than it answers. And I have a lot of time for Roger and Mike. I know them a bit. Um, they do great work. But I don't. I think if they were asked to put that statement out, or if they had a chat with the Roland and he, he said they couldn't put it out, they're better off putting nothing out. They, you know, they, they've been they've been damaged. Well, not damaged, but it's not done them any favours by putting that out. I think it it makes them look like they're sort of in the inner circle looking out rather than working on our behalf looking in uh, almost. So that was another one. And then, I don't know, just around the Steve Cottrell bit, I mean, looking at that post-match at Lincoln, how emotional did he look? He looked gutted that he'd been left out. He looked absolutely distraught that he put so much into this club, you know, He's been on record before saying I nearly died managing this club. It obviously means a lot to him mostly. He loves the players. He's sort of built it in his image. And to be not consulted on the next phase of the project, not be brought into the into the conversations around structure going forward. He looked absolutely broken. And that interview, I read it as a thanks for everything. I love you all. But I'm saying goodbye unless unless I get some clarity here. I, you know, he seemed like it was the end of the road unless something Fundamental changes. That's how I read it. Anyway, I don't know about anybody else. Dan, what do you? What I do you certainly think? certainly see where you're coming from there, Mike. But I mean, Chris made the most simple of points before. It's the second best finish we've had in 30 years, and now you listen to that interview. You know, it was like the world was falling apart. It was a horrible interview to listen to because I genuinely feel that Cottrell was was finding it super super tough. We just finished 12th in the league. You know, we don't do that normally, or at least in the last three decades. So some, something really was there was a mismatch there. And, and it did feel to me like it, it, it could be the end. I mean, I was going to ask you guys, if I was to ask you to vote, is Cottrell going to be manager next Sunday in a week's time? Yeah, no, I don't doesn't, think so. It doesn't feel like it, does it? It doesn't feel like no. it. I'd love him to be. And he's I think Chris. Yeah. yeah. I don't think so. Like I say, again, I could be pr- I think he wants to be. That's the thing. I think he wants to stay, but... He's the kind of character, he's not a weak man, is he? I think there's many things you could say about Steve Cottrell. He's not weak. And I don't think, he, I think he wants to stay on his terms. And right now, those terms, the terms that seem to be being presented are nowhere near his terms. So it puts him in a difficult place. But I don't think he wants to walk away. I was, I was looking at his record before he came to us. After When he's left his last two managerial jobs, he's actually not managed again for two years each time. So it's not like Steve Cottrell's walked out of a job and straight into another one in recent times. So I think he's loved being back in football, and I think he's actually enjoyed the project he's had here and the progress he's made. So he, he comes across to me as a guy who'd love to carry that on, but for, he doesn't. I think it's being ripped about away from under him, and it's being done in such a underhand way like I say I I've not always liked the guy if I'm honest as a human being I've not always liked Steve Cottrell that's just my personal feelings sometimes listening to the man but it's just the way he's now being treated is not how you treat people and I just don't understand how you can go through a big restructure at the top of the organization and leave out the most probably the most important employee in the place from those conversations it's just ridiculous and when he when he came to the club I remember Roland Witchley going on record saying this is a managerial appointment 20 years in the making I tried to get him years ago. He's, he's sort of the manager that he's always wanted at the football club. And for three years turnaround time, for him to be sort of 
almost cut adrift if if what you believe to be true is true and he's not been consulting any of the conversations just seems insane like you know if 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 Wichley can't get on with Cottrell and keep him in the loop as the guy he's been friends with for years and known him football and wanted at the club all the time what hopes any manager got coming in and, and lasting longer than a few years with with Roland in charge and you know, that's all conjecture again. It's all, it's all, but you know, alleged. It is and it isn't, isn't it, Mike? Because it's not like it's just Steve Cottrell, isn't it? Twenty-four in twenty-seven years of Roland Witchley now, how many people have we seen come and go because they can't work with him? We still have we have a board of directors of two or three people at the minute. I'm, I'm not sure exactly which who, the makeup, but it's two or three. At most clubs, you know, it's seven or eight, nine people. We we've always had small boards because you no, know, the ones that do come in tend to leave again pretty quickly, and there's. You know, I'll be careful, but there's usually one reason for that. It's he's clearly not an easy guy to work with, and if you know if Steve Cottrell can't make it work with him, as you say, people who allegedly were friends before this, I'm not quite sure who can. It is odd, isn't it? It's not only odd that Steve Cottrell's not been consulted on this. Like, who in the football club knows more about football than Steve Cottrell? No one. No one in the club knows more about football than Steve Cottrell. So if you're going to maybe do a new model or something, you maybe you'll discuss it with him. But he had no clue, absolutely no clue on that Tuesday night um, after the Bristol Rovers game, what was going on. He had no clue what, what on earth was going on. Not only that, pre-Lincoln, pre-Lincoln press conference, he still had no clue. So he clearly hadn't spoken to the chairman. And then after the game as well, he repeated the, a few days later, after the Lincoln game, he repeated it as well. So there's been clearly been no dialogue between the manager and the chairman about what's going on in terms of the structure of the club. Now, you just asked us, Dan, is Steve Cotter going to be here next season? No, one of the reasons I don't think he's going to be here, one is the interview that we've seen. And his partner in crime, his buddy, Keith Burt, who, you know, you can talk about the small squad and all that kind of stuff. They've done pretty well in recruitment. Think of a, a bad player that they signed hasn't really worked out. A couple, don't want to name names, a bit harsh, but you know, not many players have, have not worked. They well, know Brian is probably the only one. Yeah, yeah. you totally have. You can't ask for every single player to be no. successful. That's just unreasonable. So they've been very successful. Now you can talk about the model, and we'll probably come on to that shortly, or maybe in a later podcast about Steve Cottrell's model, signing players of championship experience, small squad versus director of football. That's a maybe discussion for another day. I'm not sure if I'll have time today. But yeah, it's very, very strange. And, and you know, we should be celebrating and having been joyous that we've made progress. You know, after Paul Hurst went, we had Askew, we had Ricketts, Steve Cotter come in and we've seen steady progress. So if we were doing this podcast and we didn't have the chaos that the, um, the club has brought upon themselves, we'd be saying, can't wait for next season. Absolutely can't fucking wait. Who the hell is Steve Cotter going to sign next? And are we going to have a real punt for the playoffs? Wouldn't be. That is what we'd be talking about now. We'd be absolutely loving it. Can't wait for preseason. Can't wait to sign Cots, you know, the best players from Morecambe and you know, sign Stockton. He'll score 30 goals for us next year. Blah, blah, blah. Instead, we're talking about who on earth do we contact? Who on earth is going to be employing for the club? When are we going to start signing players again? And yeah, it's just absolute madness that we've gone from, you know, couple of months ago having that amazing run in january february to this now it is is madness and it's it's chaos brought on by the leadership of the club yeah and i think going back to cultural's interview he he clearly wants to build for next season he, he can see the improvement he, he mentions it all the time you know when he took over we were 17th straight from relegation we finished very safe in mid-table he thought there was more in the tank this year as well barring a couple of bad injuries and some some refereeing nightmares 
And I, I think genuinely he wants to get that group together, retain as many of them as he can and, and go again next year, but only with the right backing and only with the right, you know, with the right feeling around the club, around, you know, being wanted and, and having the right, whatever the structure is. It just seems that, um, you know, he's had the rug pulled under him. And I think as fans, we probably feel a bit the same as well. You know, we should be crowing our best finishing in however many years. And he should be beating his chest as well to see him so upset after achieving something fairly remarkable. Just a real real sad moment, I think, at the end of a really good season. Um, and it's kind of a weird way to, to leave the season, I suppose, because um, I think it's been positive. I think it's been a success. Um, if you look back at the pre-season pod, I think I was predicting 17th, 18th again. I couldn't see any more progress. And, and it's been, I think Steve Cotter has turned it around as well. He's turned me around as a person. You know, if you'd have told me 12 months ago I'd want him to remain our manager, I'd have been quite surprised. And now here I am saying I'd be gutted if he left. So um, it's, it's a really strange one. And I, I suppose the question really is, I don't know if you, you or Dan or you, Chris, um, where do you think it goes from here? What, what do we need to see out of the club next week? What communication needs to come out or what? additional recruitments need to be made so that we feel a little less chaotic. Just before we jump onto that, I just want to make a point. If Steve Cottrell goes, they are getting rid of a very, very popular manager. So I did a poll on Twitter and it's like 85% something like that said they wanted to keep him. I did a same poll on Facebook and it was 96% of fans wanted to keep the manager. That is a phenomenal, phenomenal approval rating um, for a manager. Um, so yeah, the club, the club, the club are, are taking a gamble there, getting rid of a very, very successful um, and um, manager that has a and you know he said he loves us, and I think there's a huge love for Steve Cottrell from, among the fans base. Yeah, I think I think the issue there is probably we can't afford to pay him off though, Ollie. You know, I mean, I know it's only one year in a contract, but he's not on minimum wage. And, and I'd have thought that, that that is a big issue. I, I think if you want to get rid of him, if Roland's decided that, that, that his time is up, then I, I suspect that he, he may well be wanting to push rather than, you know, rather than anything else. He's, he's not going to be able to, 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 to drop that axe easily because it, it will be an expensive gig. The, the well, issue that's why I forward, said what I said, Dan. Yeah, I think they're trying to force him out. They want him to resign because then they don't have to pay him. Yeah, well, that, that's exactly where I was going. Yeah, I mean, and Chris, you're, you're the comms guy. You'll be able to answer this better than me, at least in theory, because obviously you're not a club insider either. But in terms of where we go, I'd just like to see some evidence of thought. You know, what, what's the when are we likely to have this director of football? Because of course, the dude from Cheltenham hadn't said yes yet, and he's probably looking at all this carnage and thinking, "Oh, that looks fun. I'll dive in." Or, or maybe he isn't. Maybe he knows the the, the, the bigger picture. So when are we going to see some sort of plan of attack? When will we see the retained list? As, as Ollie said, we've got to publish that quickly or quickishly. So I think just just something tomorrow or or Wednesday at the latest about these are the next steps. This is what's going to happen. Just just to calm everything down a bit because the club can't exist in a situation where nobody has any idea what's going on. It's just not healthy for for us as fans. But more importantly, it's not healthy for those whose futures are being decided now, whether it be Luke Leahy with with the contract extension or whether it be getting in new players for next season. So I'd just like to see a plan, some sort of agenda for the next two weeks. That'll do for me. Uh, And if we can see that in the next 48 hours, then, then I think that'll be something. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, it's just the, it's the absence of, yeah, what, first of all, you should do comms in advance of change. And then when you do the comms, it should be thorough um, and give you some confidence to know what they're doing. At the moment, it doesn't feel like that. Um, and yeah, it's, yeah, like you say, Dan, we're all kind of hoping that this director of football comes in from Cheltenham. 
uh, Mickey Moore and he's going to pick up the baton and yeah, you know, crack on very quickly. Um, but you know, I'm sure the the extension options we have, you know, Luke Leahy's extension, I want that triggered. Who you know, that's going to have a sell by date. Um, and there's going to be loads of clubs after him, Mike. You know, we've got some good players. We've got a yeah. very small number of players who are contracts next season, so it's not a big list. We'll talk about that probably another day. But there's also some good players with options to extend, and we need to do that quick. I would say there's there's also something to be seen. There's a very large shark circling in the waters just up the road. Um, you've got to think about Wrexham up the road, I think. I don't like talking about them. I'd, I'd rather never have to consider them again. I think we're they actually not talking got, about them more often. Sadly. Well, they've, they've just got promoted to League, two, to league One. Uh, sorry, League Two. And they, they're going to want to win that at the first part of asking. What are they going to need for that? At least proven League One players. Who have they got up the road? Some pretty decent League One players out of contract who aren't getting paid a huge amount in the grand structure of football. How hard would it be to persuade a Luke Leahy? You come and play for us for two seasons. We'll pay you more than you're getting paid at Shrewsbury. You can be a star on Disney. You can get taken to Santa Monica for end of season parties. You can be part of this very, very exciting project that's always on the BBC and always on Sky. You know, it's it's not a hard sell for Wrexham to start cherry picking a few footballers. The the rumor is that Pennington's on his way there. It's just a rumor, but I think we're we're less we're, we're in less of that sort of cosseted, very centre of Shropshire. We're just a little club up on the edge of nowhere. You know, Wrexham changed the dynamic in in terms of local football. I think and. The club have got to be aware that, that that's a that's a potentially a problem on the horizon. I think supporters as well, Mike. Right there. So, Mike, we had a pretty depressing fifty minutes there. Mike's found possibly the only way that he could have depressed me more. Actually, so to respect. <laughs> Sorry, <you>. mate. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I don't. I'll try and depress you even more, Dan. I don't think it's just uh, players either. I, I worry about some of our floating supporters because, yeah, right now Shrewsbury looks a, a worrying place. It's not a place that they, they apparently that we're not worth talking to or explaining anything to. Whereas down the road at Wrexham, they, you know, they communicate every second of every day. It feels like at the minute, and it, as supporters of Wrexham are loving, I'm surrounded by loads of them at work, and it's noticeable because I work in the hospital over in Oswestry, and. So there's Shrewsbury fans there, but there's a lot of Wrexham fans as well. And it's noticeable that there's more of them at the minute. And, uh, they're all excited and they're loving it and they're enjoying it. And there's people who weren't really even that into football at the sub who are suddenly see themselves as a Wrexham supporter. And yeah, undoubtedly it's a threat. They're a big, they're a big, big rival who are going to, let's be honest, they're probably going to go past us in the next three or four years. And if we're not careful, it's going to be less time than that. So yeah, yeah I, I had a, it's depressing. I had a fairly nuclear thought at the last home game uh, when it was all a bit dull on the pitch. I thought my ideal proposition, because I absolutely hate Rex and I can't contend anything to do with them. I, I almost prefer if we get relegated next season, they get promoted and they get promoted again, but we also get promoted. I never have to see us play them at the pitch. And then we can just stay in League One. They can go on to the Championship, whatever. You know, I can ignore the, the Disney documentary. I don't have to watch the matches on the BBC. But if they're there on a Saturday afternoon in front of me at the Meadow, I can't ignore it and I can't watch them stuff us home and away. So, yeah. There's, there's say, some options out there. I remember this with Salford, right, four or five years ago. Gary Neville, you know, he's loaded. They had financial backers that were good. And, I, you know, I remember hearing that Salford were going to win the championship before too long. Well, they were quite happy to get in the League 2 playoffs today. So let's go with that thought. I'm just going to change. I, I, I like your thought, Dan. I like your thought process. I think I feel you're wrong. I, yeah, I, I feel, feel you're wrong, wrong too, but I'm going to stick I, with I it. I think we've got 15,000, a capacity of 16,000 fans. Salford has, what, a couple of thousand. Um, and I was listening to an, an athletic podcast talking about Rex, and I, I, I don't know why I did it, but I thought it was interesting. For me, the big fear is what happens if some American billionaire wants to get involved in the party and buys a little share of Rex and starts pumping even more money in. So, um, yeah, God, 
how much how much would well, I think what they're doing off the field is absolute pure genius, by the way. And how excited we would be if they'd taken over our football club. Unfortunately, we weren't in non-league, so um, yeah, it wasn't going to be us. But um, yeah, I'm not sure where we go I, from I, here. I suggest in the, in the summer, <laughs> when things finally do calm down, we need a, a, a pod on exactly what we hate about this Wrexham takeover. Because seriously, I'm in. Right, I've got players. Oh yeah, this. yeah. I, I, don't, I, I think we... anything against the club, it's that narrative, you know. That oh, I, I, yeah. Me. I think I think we all know what what pisses us off about it. So we'll come to that and put a pin in that. In due course. So. I think, Ollie, where to go from here? I think I'd be interested to hear from you because you've, you've been quite vocal on social media. You've been quite vocal on, you know, in, in the different forums and things. Uh, what do you want to see over the next two weeks? What, what's your ideal outcome now to, to sort of calm the, the storm that we, we, we sort of perceive that the club is in at the moment? Where, where do you want it to go from here? So off the pitch, we need a shirt sponsor, hopefully with more money. Stadium sponsor, hopefully with more money. I want some reassurance that someone in the club whether it's Andy Tretton or someone is doing those deals and knows what consequential losses is and, and contracts and knows what they're doing. So we, we need to tidy up that side of the business. Um, we need someone who knows what they're doing. This is a six million pound business. We need someone who knows what they're doing. Um, we need someone who's going to be there and the front and face of the club so we can have those dialogues. So who's going to front that up? Um, so that's off the field stuff we need to get sorted quickly um, and we need to get the manager sorted quickly don't we if we're not going to have Steve Cottrell then sadly we're going to have to get another manager so we need to get another manager quickly that manager and then if let's assume we get this director of football there's a lot of ifs here there's a long list we're building here for the chairman to fix so let's assume we get this director of football in so say we get him next week or two weeks time um, then the manager we're going to have to get a manager who's got a blueprint. What formation is he going to play? Is he playing three at the back? Is he playing four at the back? Is he playing 4-3-3, 4-4-2, whatever? What formation are we playing? And then we need to sign players that fit that formation. So that is a huge list, a huge, huge list. Then after that, then you need to start offering Luke Leahy and all these other players' contracts. Um, and there's one thing that we haven't talked about there in this whole situation is what's the budget? What is the budget? Because the there was a very interesting line in the Brian Caldwell um, departure about um, about uh, Peter Brophy doing some analysis and, and digging into the club um, and trying to make some savings. I've also heard that um, people who are leaving the club, their jobs are being posted and the wages are less. I do wonder how much money we have spent. So in the last set of accounts, um, the summary from Aunt Thomas says that we had £1.6 million in the bank. How much of that is left? Is any of it left? And have we actually been spending quite a bit of money this season and has all the money gone? Um, and so what is the budget? And what is the direction of the club? So not only do we need to sign a director of football, we need to sign a manager, sign a whole squad of players, decide how we're going to play football. We also need to set the strategy for the next three or five years. What is our football strategy? Are we going to be trying to sign younger players and players from the lower leagues? Or are we going for carrying on with this model of signing players from a higher division? There is, and that's why for me, I feel like we are... If Steve Cottrell goes and we don't get a, man, um, a director of football soon, we are definitely in crisis zone. We are in chaos today. And yeah, we are not in a good place. Um, I don't know if I missed anything there, but there's a lot of things this club needs to fix in the next few weeks. 
Yeah, Ollie, if I may, you talked about budget there, and that's an interesting one. I've no idea what we've spent or what we haven't spent. Uh, if our no, budget no one does, knows. if our budget does have to be cut next season, that's disappointing. But at the same time, where you know, I've criticised Roland Witchley a lot tonight. One thing I'll say for him is he took over this club in 1996 when we were we, we virtually we were virtually dead. You know, the the stories were that we were hours literally from the bank closing us down, and and in the tw- in the years since, financially he has turned us around and created a stable business. And while we would all love him to spend more money and produce this League One winning football club. The man can only spend what he's got and what he can spend responsibly. And I think sometimes people do have to be careful what they wish for. I look. I was looking at the National League table earlier today, and that league right now is a graveyard of clubs who had not so long ago had spent beyond their means and have paid for it. So this year, the year we finished third in the fifth in the league that year was Scunthorpe United. Next season, they'll be playing in National League North because they couldn't afford the squad that they were running at that time and they hadn't been able to afford it for many years and they are dropping down the pyramid, alarmingly so. Not just National League, but they're carrying on down. And, and then you've Yeovil, got the... Yeovil. Yeah, you know, they Yeovil, the Yeovil have gone down with them. They were in one. the championship, yeah. yeah. And then you've got, you know, there's loads of big clubs in that league now. It's going to be the playoff final in that league on Saturday and it's Notts County versus Chesterfield. Now, I, personally, I hope Notts County win that. They've had a fantastic season and they've been unlucky and I hope they get back in the Football League. Historically, a very big club. But they're another example. The reason they're in the National League is because they dreamed big. And, you know, do you remember they had Sven Goran Eriksson as manager and buyouts that turned out to be fake and they were dreaming of being in the Premier League. And now they've been in the National League for a few years because they couldn't sustain it. And we have to spend within our means or that's going to be us because we are not a football club that can afford to run millions of pounds of loss of year after year. It will leave one way and it will lead us back to non-league. So while I would love us to be a strong League One team, we are at least a football league team and a, and a relatively thriving one, certainly in terms of the strength of our business, or we have been up to this point anyway. So, yeah, I will say to about Roland Witchley, he's done that well and we should remember that and give him some respect for that. Mike? A, a question a question I've got is, you know, with all, all due respect, how long can he continue as the chairman of Shrewsbury Town? I mean, he seems like quite a sprightly chap, but uh, I think he's roughly the same age as my father and I think they went to school He's together, 82, so yes, it's yeah, a, yeah. there has to be a succession plan, doesn't and, there? There has to be. Yeah, I don't think I'd have my father-in-law in charge of the football club, bless him. I love him, Bob, but, you know, he's, uh, you know, he's getting on now. And, I, and it's not an ageist thing, but at some point he's going to have to hand the reins over. I don't think there's a natural sort of family succession coming down the line as I understand it. So there's going to have to be a sale on the cards in the next few years. Are we being restructured for sale? Is this part of what's going on? Or is Roland actually laying out a blueprint because he's going to be here for another five years and see this blueprint through? Because that's something I don't understand. It's like the length of time the the chairman is still going to be with the club and this fundamental restructure of how we do things going along at the same time. There's there's a bit of a mismatch there for me as well. I don't know what you you think. Yeah, for me, this is the bit bit that's frustrating. Yes, the chairman owns the legal entity that is the football club, but we 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 fund the club. You know, you get you get money being you know from being in in, in League One, um, and you get money from sponsorships. But a big bulk of the money for this football club comes from the fans, and the only reason he gets to be the chairman of a football club in League One is because he's got a good number of fans that follow the team every week, and we pay our season tickets, and we pay pay our tickets, and we buy our pies, and we buy our beers. He owes us something here. Yes, he is the chairman of the club and he owns a legal entity, but the football club is absolutely nothing without us. And he needs to step up now 
and tell us what's going on because the way he's been handling um, things the last few weeks isn't good enough. Um, and it's going to have, the longer it goes on now, the next few weeks go on, it casts a shadow. So if we can get this fixed the next few weeks, we can probably come away and maybe get away with it this summer. If we're talking, if we're having a podcast, you know, if we, we don't normally do podcasts in June. and um, But if we're doing podcasts in June because this club still hasn't got a manager or director of football, that's going to cast a big shadow. And if that's the case, we're going to be one of the favourites to get relegated next season. Chris, what are your views on that? I agree with that entirely. Right now, I'm very scared that relegation is what's looming for us next year. I'll be equally Which is in a crazy. Week's... We've just yeah. finished 12th. I could feel We've very different in a week's 12th. time. You know, as you say, if they only communicated, I could be reassured and feel very differently about things. There's been talk and rumours of a buyout being imminent. I suppose my only thought on that would, if that was genuinely the truth, if we were genuinely due a new owner any time now, why are they doing all this restructuring? Surely you'd let a new owner make those decisions if that was happening. The Even fact that we are part doing of the that, deal. He's, to be, he's doing them a favour, but it doesn't seem it's possible. Doesn't seem but as, possible. I suppose if I was a betting man, I would be saying that the fact that Roland Witchley is overseeing a restructure suggests that he's going to be around for at least another season. Otherwise, yeah, yeah. why is it him? I, again, I know nothing. I could be proved wrong. This is just me making, I suppose, semi-intelligent guesses, which might turn out to be utterly idiotic guesses. But that's that's what that's what I would guess right now. I don't I don't see him going, you know, anytime imminently, but. You watch. Now I've said that. We'll put this pod out, and they'll announce a new owner tomorrow. But <laughs> I'm just checking Twitter now for you, Chris. There's nothing there yet. Yeah, I did, I did check the club um, website um, a few moments ago, and um, just to make sure nothing has been announced while we're recording this. Um, so we've talked about most things off the off that list of things that's happening. So we said kind of bringing it back that Keith Burt has gone, um, and another thing we kind of missed is that um, someone apparently has joined the board back in terms of being the club secretary, um, a guy called Michael Parry. I, I, to be honest, I don't recognise that name. I don't know if, Chris, you you recognise that name. Yeah, I know a bit about him and I've picked up stuff on Twitter as well. So Ian Jones, Salopian on Twitter, was very clear on that. He's a long-standing uh, guy who's worked for Roland Witchley. He worked for him at Shire Vending Services, which is the company that Witchley made his fortune through. And he was company secretary of Shrewsbury Town for several years up until Brian Caldwell was officially appointed into that position, actually. So Caldwell came here as CEO, but he only became company secretary in 2018. And before that, Parry was the previous company secretary. So he's stepping back into a job he's done before. But I believe from I believe he's about 74 years old. So, you know, you don't he doesn't look he's not an appointment for the long term. It's it's definitely the um, you know I don't think it'd be unfair to say this is a bit of an old boys club um, at the club at the moment um, and yeah fingers crossed I and mean, we're bringing in some some fresh faces um, in the in the in the very near future. Um, there's loads and loads of avenues we can go down. We've got obviously the, the retain list all that kind of stuff. We have no idea what's on that on that now. Um, I thought I thought it was really interesting Luke Leahy's comments in his post-match interview. If you haven't listened to Steve Cottrell's post-match, please listen to that. Maybe even you know really listen to that and also listen to Luke Leahy's one. Um, he said that he's there's an option in the club's favour, but he says a lot going on at the club at the moment and that everyone's unsure of. I'm yet to hear anything, so we'll have to see. And he says there's a lot more stuff they need to do before they get to me. I think. Um, so yeah, there's a, a lot of things going on at the clubs that we've covered. Um, we've covered, I think, most things, guys. Anything that we've missed or anything we want to raise? One thing I'd flag up is that we, I think this is a really interesting podcast. We're doing it at an interesting time because we, we could all be completely and utterly wrong, right? But I don't know many fans at the moment 
Now, I don't live in Shrewsbury anymore, but I'm still obviously regularly in contact with Shrewsbury Town fans who would say that we're getting this massively wrong. And, and, that, and that worries me. The questions we're asking are questions that I think a lot of other people are asking. And, and someone at the club must notice. They don't have to listen to this podcast to notice. They just have to go out the front door. So given that, I would hope that there's a need for another podcast in a week ta- week's time where we review the things we've got right and the things we've got wrong. Right, because let's hope we have got quite a bit wrong. Um, oh, and, and we and know, I, and I we're going to be an interesting week ahead of us as well. Yeah, and I think just maybe just worth caveating that. You know, we want, we want, we want to go on Saturday. We don't want to be talking about, you know, one of the nice things about Brian is that Brian kind of dealt with all the boring stuff, you know, sponsorships, all that kind of stuff. We don't want to talk about that. But you know what I mean? We want to talk about football. We want to talk about signings. We want to talk about fun stuff. Um, we don't want to be talking about stuff like this, to be honest. Um, we want a successful football club where we can go and enjoy ourselves on the weekend. Um, so fingers crossed. Um, can I just you know, reiterate, Rex, we've not been promoted two divisions in no. one season, Ollie. We are not playing the next I said, season. I said next season. I said League One next season, oh, um, which is a possibility. I would also say, Ollie, if you're looking for a successful League One club with no drama and knocking about, you, you, you've been supporting the wrong club all this time because it's never been that with Shrewsbury. There's always something going on. You, know? no. you wouldn't know much of a podcast. There is always something going on. One again, three nil. Oh dear. Yeah, a bit of drama. I don't know. Soul, a Paul Hurst season would be would be nice. Um, but actually, yeah, actually, we won't. It's not going to end the Paul Hurst route. That's another thing. People were saying that Steve Cottrell is a more successful manager than Paul Hurst, but I won't go into that. Let's leave ah, that for another day. Um, anything, anything, um, Dan, Chris, uh, Mike, to mention? I think we've talked it to death, to be honest, Ollie. I yeah. think we've depressed ourselves. We're probably going to depress our <laughs> listeners. So yeah, let's let them cogitate, and I'm sure we'll get some opinions back at us. And you know, I'm, I look forward to being told I'm an idiot or whatever on social media when people have listened back to this. I think yeah, question, I always tag you guys on the when I do time, share the podcast. So, yeah, you guys are be available to to take the flat. But no, um, it's a it's been a it's been a good. I've enjoyed going through it. It's been very therapeutic to go through all this. Um, thanks for joining me on the podcast, guys. And uh, yeah, fingers crossed, we can be back in a couple of days with um, about five new appointments and about ten new players. Um, and everything we said in this podcast has been made void. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Cheers, Ollie. Cheers, Cheers guys. Thanks for listening. And yeah, we'll be back again soon. Yeah!